Welcome to the Elevate Orthodontics Podcast with Dr. Lance Miller. Each week, we bring you interviews with the top minds in the orthodontic profession in order to heighten your expertise, boost your motivation, and raise your skills. Join us as we help doctors take their practices and their lives to the next level. And now, here's your host, Dr. Lance Miller. Welcome to the Elevate Orthodontics Podcast. I'm Dr. Lance Miller. I'm so glad you're here with us again this week. I wanted to take a minute before we get into the episode. I'm recording this on May 29th, which is Memorial Day here in the United States, where we honor and remember the people who died while serving in our country's armed forces. And I've been thinking today about a quote from John Adams that's quite well known, and many of you know this quote. John Adams, who was an early president of the United States, said, I must study politics and war so that my sons may have liberty to study mathematics and philosophy. My sons ought to study mathematics and philosophy, geography, natural history, naval architecture, navigation, commerce, and agriculture in order to give their children a right to study painting, poetry, music, architecture, statuary, tapestry, and porcelain. And I would include in that list orthodontics. I don't think there's many people getting braces and war-torn or ravaged countries or places where a dictator rules and poverty reigns. So I want to express my appreciation and take a moment to recognize those people who have made such a huge sacrifice so that we can be here today doing what we do and in being part of this wonderful profession. Thank you. We all know we need to spend some time educating ourselves on the operation of our practices and on our personal financial management. And one of the best ways that I like to do that is by subscribing to and reading newsletters. And there's a number of newsletters out there that are really great, and we're going to talk about a couple of those today. But what I really like about newsletters is that they come on a schedule. And that keeps me thinking about these important tasks. These are important, non-urgent tasks. Uh, Stephen Covey people will recognize these as quadrant two tasks. And it's good to have a reminder of these things from time to time to keep us focused on them. I also like that the newsletter articles are really written from implementation. These are things you can do right away or you can do a little at a time. I often forward articles to my accountant. And, and speaking of accountants, you will know what questions to ask and what things to look for come tax time if you read these articles and start to understand more the strategies that you can implement in your practice. The other nice thing is that you often get the same information that you would get at a full day or half day lecture without the time and expense to travel, although Many of these groups do put on nice courses and lovely destinations if you're so inclined to do that. So let's jump in and talk about three newsletters that I subscribe to that I find very, very valuable. The first is the Collier and Associates newsletter. This is one of the oldest newsletters in dentistry, and it's focused on personal financial advice and tips. There's a lot of discussion of tax planning and reduction. There's some articles on practice management as well, not so much orthodontic specific, but very applicable to anyone who owns a dental practice. And these guys are also experts at retirement plans. They manage them in-house, and there's a lot of good information if you're thinking about setting up a retirement plan, 401k, cross-tested, age-weighted, defined benefit, defined pension, all of these things, you start to get a little bit of better sense reading their articles of how these plans all function. The newsletter comes twice a month, and the subscription is $509 for two years, so a little over $250 a year. The second newsletter that I subscribe to and really enjoy is the Benson Clark Resource. This is a quarterly uh, publication edited by Chris Benson, 
And one thing that I always look forward to in this newsletter is that this is the most orthodontic specific newsletter. And one thing that they do is because Benson Clark also does a lot of practice valuations, every year they release uh, a report on all of the valuations that they've done. And it gives you a sense of what's going on with the value of practices, how they're selling. And, and that's very, very useful in understanding the broader marketplace and also understanding best practices. Chris and his team, after going in and seeing all these practices, are seeing really what's working and what's not working and trying to distill all that information down into an article. They also publish every year overhead averages, which is very useful to benchmark yourself. So when you're trying to understand how to reduce or control your overhead, you can divide things into certain categories and understand how other doctors, your peers, are spending their resources and to manage their practice. There's a lot of great articles in this about big picture perspective on the orthodontic industry as a whole. As I mentioned, there's also guest articles on practice management topics. This is $175 for two years. So it's a great deal. And I get a lot out of this one every time it comes out. The last one is the McGill Hill newsletter, and this is published monthly. The McGill Hill Group is a full-service financial group. They do financial advising, accounting, practice transitions, retirement plans, and they have a ton of knowledge from working with so many clients, and this all comes out in their newsletter. The articles are very well-written, topics on financial planning, tax planning, and reduction. They also do an annual survey of their clients where you can get some overhead averages, and they do several smaller surveys as well on specific topics. Some articles are very focused on orthodontics. They've got a lot of orthodontic clients. Some are more kind of broadly related to dentistry and dental practices, but all of them have relevance to the owner of an orthodontic practice. And the subscription for this is $400 for two years. So these are the three I subscribe to, the Collier & Associates, the Benson Clark Resource, and the McGill Hill Newsletter. If there's others out there that you guys are subscribing to or that you enjoy, you get a lot out of, please let me know or post them in our Facebook group. I think for the three of these, if you add that all up and divide, it's about $550 a year to get these newsletters. And really, it only takes one or two ideas for this to pay for themselves. Uh, I also like that I have a better sense of my practice numbers. I'm better able to be proactive with tax reduction. So I recommend that you give them a shot for a couple years. Get what you can. It's a relatively inexpensive way to get a lot of knowledge. I highly recommend it. Mary Sawtell Dunn started her career in orthodontics after college as a lab tech. She began her sales career at A Company in 1986, where she was a top rep and company sales trainer. She went on to become an award-winning rep with Ormco and GAC. She was the first rep and national trainer for Align Technology in 1999, where she wrote the company training manual they used for their ISO 9000 certification. Mary then went on to be the Director of Business Development for a large multi-state orthodontic practice, opening three offices from scratch and developing the purchasing formulary. From there, she started her own consulting company, Analyzing Practices, and founded, and, <clears throat> and founded Mary's List, one of the largest and most well-respected buying groups in orthodontics. Mary has written articles for Orthodontics Products Online, the Progressive Orthodontics Magazine, has given several AAO webinars, and most recently written for the third time in the Benson Clark Newsletter. Mary and her team have helped over 1,000 practices to date. Mary, welcome to the Elevate Orthodontics Podcast. Thank you, Lance. Glad you're here. 
I've got to bring this up. Uh, we were talking in the pre-interview. I, I don't know if you know, I, we just got a puppy in our household, and you told me that you guys have six dogs. I don't even know how you guys handle that. You guys, do <laughs> you guys just do everything big in Texas, I guess, right? <laughs> yeah, um, there is no big in Texas, but uh, we have six. Three are, were planned, and three were rescues. And it really isn't hard because we have no carpet anywhere in our house, and we have a, a doggy door so they can all go in and out on their own. Um, we don't have any big dogs yet, and so I'm not really sure how we're going to manage that. But I, I do plan uh, in the next year to help an organization with rescues and fostering. And so I've tried to prepare Matthew <laughs> because we'll probably have more. <laughs> That's unbelievable. Like I say, we've got our hands full just with this one. We don't know. We, part of it is that we don't really know what we're doing. So, you know, we had the trainer come over to train us. Much more than training the dog, we need the training. Yeah, it, there's a lot to training dogs. And the, the one that we just rescued two weeks ago had been abandoned at least two years by the growth of its hair. It could have been longer. And um, it's just amazing how he's evolved in two weeks since he has a home again. But it's, it's rewarding. I mean, he's so thankful. So, <laughs> good, really good. Cool. Well, let's let's start our conversation today by talking about sales reps, um, which you were for many years. And I think many doctors kind of unfairly look at sales reps with, I don't know, disdain. I think that's a product of arrogance on the doctor a lot of time. But when people think about orthodontic profession, you know, they often think about the doctor and the team in the office. But then there's this also this whole group of people working behind the scene. You've got the manufacturers and the reps and the labs and the software companies. Tell me a little bit how you view, you know, these supporting roles. What's the, what's kind of the role of, of these companies and, and, and what, do, what, do you, what did you consider your role to be in the orthodontic profession? Well, I think it's really necessary in the bracket world and in the scanner world and the lab world to have uh, a representative, you know, to support uh, the doctor's needs. Uh, back in the day when I started as a rep in the, in the 80s, there were no cell phones, no computers. You know, we relied on an answering service. We carried a calendar and a day timer, and we had to stop on the side of the road to get our calls from an answering service. So it was pretty rudimentary. The really good reps, the great reps, um, are what they call consultative salespeople. And when we were trained at A Company by Dan Carnes and then later by Joe Breland, we were trained to really look at the doctor's practice and not just what's in your bag and then also be attuned to everything else in the industry. I felt that if you were a really great rep and you knew that you had something that you might not thought was the best product or was in the best interest of the doctor and you knew where to find it, you know, if you knew and you knew where to point them, you you gained more credibility with the doctors. And so, you know, really great reps, they know what the doctor's needs are and, and um, they're able to, you know, forecast so that doctors don't run out, they can help the offices plan better, um, and you know just basically be more of a helper, I think, than what doctors consider or what people consider a salesperson. You're more of a representative then. Right, right. You know, another concern that I hear from doctors, and and I guess that I share too sometimes, is that sometimes reps are not that discreet. I mean, when I have someone in my office and they're telling me about what all the other practices are doing that are, I guess, my competitors. That really makes me uncomfortable. What what advice would you have for a doctor in that situation? Ah, uh, that's a big no-no. <laughs> Discretion is really important. Uh, you know, I, I never, ever shared any confidential information that I knew a doctor 
wouldn't want shared outside of his practice. And I mean, it's okay to say, you know, a lot of doctors use X or this has been very popular, but naming names, you know, without permission, I would never do that. Um, I just don't think it's, it's a good, uh, a good, good way to do business. And I don't think it's really necessary. I think it's, it's important to have the trust of the doctor and you develop that trust by knowing when to be discreet. Right, right. Okay, so you switched roles then, and you ended up working for a very large orthotic practice, so you're kind of on the other side of this. Uh, what did you learn about inventory and purchasing working in that role as the buyer of uh, all of these orthotic products? Oh, wow, I learned a lot. Um, you know, I, I was always on the sales side, but being on the sales side, I did see a lot of things that the, the offices were doing with inventory and uh, ordering that could have been a lot better. And so I took a lot of the things that I saw and then in the practice that I was at, and I tried to incorporate all the, so to speak, mistakes with the solutions. Um, we opened, you know, four offices from scratch, and I oversaw the formulary. I had the luxury, though, of having QuickBooks and having an accounting department that every product that we bought was entered into QuickBooks. So I could run an analysis and see what we spent of each item. And in being able to do that, I took those items into groups like consumables or peripherals or uh, office supplies or lab or what have you. And I was able to see that a lot of times orthodontists are so busy wearing so many hats, you know, running a practice, uh, being a business person, taking care of, you know, hundreds and hundreds of patients, dealing with staff and OSHA and HIPAA and, you know, continuing education and insurance and et cetera, that inventory is something that I think tends to get overlooked and it's delegated to an ordering person, but that ordering person usually has another job that's almost full-time, like running a chair or head of sterilization. And so because of that, you know, I would see that the, the people that did the ordering did the best they could, but they had limited resources and so a lot of times they would follow the leader, you know, what the person before them did in the practice or in the book that they were handed, not necessarily the best product, the best price, the best solution. And so what I did is we came in and I looked at everything and I saw where we were ordering everything. And then it was like peeling back layers of an onion, starting with the things that we used the most first um, and looking to see what we paid for those things. And so I started analyzing the practice and then negotiating with the right companies to start to build the formulary. And, you know, we didn't do it all at once because it's a lot to take on with eight practices and 12 doctors. So, you know, we did it in phases. Um, and that's what I recommend to a doctor that's going to do that is to do it in phases and not jump in and do it all at once and create a ton of havoc in the practice. Right. So kind of pick up the low hanging fruit right off the bat and then fine tune it as you go. Exactly. Good. So what should an orthodontic office be spending on clinical supplies? I mean, I hear these numbers uh, like 11%, but that includes the lab. So I don't know, maybe 8%. What, what's, your, what's your target here when you get that question? What are you telling doctors that they need? Well, I mean, the national research, you know, reported, you know, by myself and then Chris Benson for 2016, the overhead typically is averaging 57 to 58%. Um, he looked at 46 practices, and he saw an increase of 1.2 for doctors that did Invisalign. 
Um, a good supply cost average is between 9 to 11. My goal was always 10 or below. Um, I do have one client that he actually runs 5%. He's got such great control of his practice. It's amazing. He buys from Ormco. He doesn't scrimp on brackets, and he doesn't buy gray market. He buys good quality products, but he has no waste, and his ordering system is dialed in. They rotate their inventory. They never have to throw anything away. You know, they never make mistakes of buying things that are too expensive. Um, and, and, you know, when I went with him to lunch, you know, he was telling me that he doesn't jump in and always try the, the new thing first. He kind of lets other people do that. And sure. so he said, that, you know, it can be costly mistakes. So he kind of lets other doctors test things and then he'll jump in a little bit later. So when you say under 10% that you're saying that that does not include lab, that's just for supplies? Right. That doesn't include, include like Invisalign. That's a separate right. category. Right, right. And now, you know, my I've noticed that my lab bill has gone up a little bit for Invisalign and for fancy 3D printing at these labs and things. But, um, you know, supply costs in our office, I think, have, have remained, you know, fairly steady. The increase has been on the on the lab side for us. Right. And, and I think that's going to change, though, because, you know, everybody at the AO was buying 3D printers, or actually more scanners. Now people are looking more into the 3D printers. There's more software coming to make aligners. And I think that the industry, you know, is going to change a lot. I know when talking to Chris, he thinks it's kind of kind of kind of reverse as far as aligners over brackets. Um, I think that there's going to be a lot that orthodontists will be able to do with phase one. I saw a company two years ago when I was in Salt Lake that was doing a lot with aligners with phase one. I think that's a huge untapped market. And that's going to be something that the orthodontists are going to have to do. That's not going to be something that will be able to be done uh, via, you know, take an impression and have your aligners mailed to you because the mouth is changing. And, you know, I watched them guide teeth into yeah. better, you know, positions with aligners. It was amazing. Yeah. Let's stick a little bit with... um this overhead question here. John McGill, I know, has talked and written about how some offices are investing in technology or bracket systems that ostensibly save labor. But then when you look at the numbers, their clinical labor costs are not decreasing, but they are spending more on their products. So do you think this is because orthodontists just like to buy expensive and cool stuff? Or is there an ROI on these uh, fancy brackets and, and other technologies? What are you seeing out there? I think there's an ROI on it if you're able to get more work from your staff. You know, if you're making it so it's more efficient for them and you see more patients, the ROI can be there. But I think if you're doing the same things and just spending more for the products and you're not getting a return, you know, via either more patients or more efficiency, it can end up costing you. It's kind of a, a balance. If you're spending more money on a bracket that's already positioned or what have you, um, you also have to have more patience to support that because it allows you to have more free time. And so, you know, and Chris talks about this, having more duties with the employees that you have to increase your production. Yeah, I, I think that, that that's not always happening though, right? I mean, I think that there are people that are just going out and buying the stuff and they still have the same number of staff that they did, you know, five years ago. Uh, right. So then the same number of patients. Exactly. Yeah. You so. gotta, you have to have more patients if you're going to have the same number of staff and then you're having more expenditures on the cool technology. Right. 
I mean, another problem that I see is that doctors like to switch their products that they're using every six months. And then there's a lot of waste there and there's a lot of kind of confusion on the part of the staff and uh, everyone's kind of chasing after this perfect solution always. Do you see that being a big problem as well? You know, change can be good, but it also can be really hard if, if there's too much. There's a lot of things that you can change in your practice to be more efficient as far, you know, as far as your inventory and your cost of supplies without changing brackets. That's often, you know, something when I'm talking to somebody that I suggest they don't do that at all. And if they do, do it later. Um, because the consumables, I think, is something that's just so overlooked. Doctors will wear sometimes three or four pairs of gloves on one patient and they see so many patients a day and they have so many chairs and so much staff. And so when you think about the things that you use one time and throw away, if you're overpaying on something like that, it can drive your supply cost up, I mean, exponentially. And, you know, I talk to doctors every day that will come back and say, I saved $2,500 just by changing my gloves, you know, to a glove that's still good, but affordable. And so, you know, you always want to have good quality. You never want to, you know, risk the health of, you know, your employees or your patients or anything like that. But if you're buying from the right places and negotiations uh, are correct, I mean, you can save a lot uh, just by knowing where to get the products and and having a good system in place. Uh, we analyzed practices that didn't have good systems, you know, where they had plenty of space in the office, but maybe it was used up by a lot of files or boxes, you know, where we went in and we cleaned out the storage and we got rid of excess in the operatory, you know, maybe things doctors tried and, and decided they didn't like that were taking up space. We got rid of anything that was expired. We showed them how to rotate the inventory. You know, we showed the offices how to maximize the, the space around the chair, the on deck and the storage and how to rotate it so that you get on a good ordering cycle. Uh, because if, if you're a practice where you're ordering every week on the companies that charge shipping, or if you're ordering every week because it's free product that you get on a program, it can really add up. You know, we audited one practice and the shipping on free product in one year was over $4,000. And so that's why it's important. You know, I like quarterly systems. Um, most practices aren't on that yet. Most of them are monthly. I, I know one doctor that does a biannual order for everything. And when you Holy think cow. about, yeah, when you think about that though, I mean, think of the efficiency. Because most of the products you buy have a year shelf life, you know, adhesives and elastics. And so if you predict what you're going to buy once a quarter or once every six months, you save a ton of labor time and a lot of shipping cost. And it makes you, it makes the life a lot easier for the girl that's doing the ordering. If she's trying to run a chair full time, you know, she has more time to, to help be in the clinic. And yeah. so it's all about efficiencies and, um, you know, the, the, I call it the DRO system, the don't run out. You don't want that system uh, because it ends up costing you if you're having to expedite things. Yeah, we're definitely on the range of probably ordering still too much. I don't, you know, I don't even think we're out to every month. I bet you they're ordering something or other every week or two. You know, I'd love to get to the point where you can order every month, but you really do have to have a good list of everything that you have in your office. You do. And, and I like Excel. I mean, there are ordering software companies coming. 
they're still in the development stage. And so I'm looking at them, trying to figure out which one's going to be the best one. And there might be a couple that I pick. Um, but there's a lot that goes into it because it's not just having good ordering software that's easy to use, um, but still robust. It's having all the part number description and pricing uploaded, you know, getting the API codes or having that information so that, you know, the girls don't have to type in every part number description and price for every product because there's so many. And so, you know, that's time consuming and the companies are still, they're still in the development stage. They're not a hundred percent there yet. I do think it's going to change. I think that once those companies have really great software and have all that data, it's going to be a lot easier for doctors to predict and you'll be able to run reports. I was able to do it because we had QuickBooks and, you know, we had one uh, accounts payable person and one accounts receivable person and they entered every item so I could run reports on everything. So I knew how much we were using of everything we bought and I was able to predict, you know, and forecast and I was able to get the company so on the things that took up a lot of room, uh, like gloves, so that I didn't have to order three or six months worth, we would just set those up on an auto ship. And we knew the buying pattern, you know, from month to month and through the summer when you're busier and how much we needed. And I just, I would tweak it if I needed to, but that stuff just came in and we didn't have to think about it anymore. Yeah, that's neat. This is maybe a good time to tell our listeners a little bit about how Mary's List works. I'm a Mary's List uh, customer, but uh, go ahead and tell us a little bit kind of what what your vision was and and what it is that you do for doctors. Well, um, I saw there was a need for somebody to help streamline things and point the girls in better directions to save and to get more organized. So we started out in 2012. We analyzed 45 practices And I saw kind of the same patterns and the same things happening in every practice. We started out with, you know, just six companies and 45 doctors. My belief was if you really help the doctors and you do a good job and support them, that you don't have to spend a lot on marketing. I mean, and it's been, I'd say, 90% by doctors telling their friends that are members and, and maybe the other from some things I've written and consultants that have seen the impact, you know, that we have on practices like Chris Benson and Karen Moad and and Mary Beth Kirkpatrick, you know, the, the consultants that really look hard at numbers. We, we want to stick with good products, and we're very, very careful about the companies that we vet before we add them. We now have, I think, close to 60. Uh, we listen to the doctors in the study group uh, as far as what they want, and, you know, we try to find the best solutions we have just about everything you could think of in the group now. Uh, we're still adding more, though. I mean, we're, we're now looking at 3D printers. I'm looking at a company for AEDs. I'm looking at a software company and some really cool inventions that are coming uh, to add those to the list. So we're always trying to round it out, you know, based off what the doctors want. Um, I have trainers that support the girls in the offices or the men that do the ordering, Um, We do a coaching call. Once you sign up, we have templates in our portal to help you get organized. We have information about all the companies. We have reps set up at the companies to help. So you're not on your own. You know, once you become a member, I think that's important. And, um, you know, we try to stay with companies where I know the the doctors are going to get products for the patients that are quality and that, you know, your safety is always, of course, the most important so we try to stick, you know, with with good quality products and companies that provide good service. Right, right. So, so a doctor pays you an annual fee uh, for membership, and then you negotiate 
discounts with all of these selected vendors who you vetted, and then doctors can reap those savings. And then you also help them with training and setting up the systems that we've talked about. Correct. And, and then our trainers will check back, you know, periodically just to see how everybody's doing. If we need to step in, if there's ever a surface, service issue, the doctors know, you know, they can come to us. Uh, if they have a question, you know, they can ask the group, which is really cool. They can support each other. And it's, it's evolved. I mean, uh, the, the whole study club and putting that piece to it was Anil Idikula's idea. And I mean, it was amazing because I have doctors now that tell me that just that the study club that we have is worth the membership. You know, we're a little bit unique. When I talked to the companies in the beginning, they thought I was a, a dealer or a reseller. And, you know, they would always ask about the percentage that I would charge them, which we don't. We, we negotiate the discounts. We pass them directly to the members. They charge a membership. They're charged a membership. I don't charge the companies, uh, you know, a fee to be on the list, but we expect a lot. You know, we expect quality service. You know, we now even have consultants that in the beginning, you know, I didn't really have consultants, you know, and now we have great consultants that if you want to, you know, start using their services that even have an offering. So if a new doctor signs up with you, uh, what, what do you see are like the two or three or four things that you're going right to this because you know you can save them money on? What, what are doctors overpaying for? Consumables, office supplies, adhesives, burrs, peripherals. You know, it's not so much the brackets, I think, that the doctor kind of focuses on that because a lot of times if they buy a bracket, you know, that it is costly, but, you know, I tell them that you're going to get through 20 with 20 brackets and eight tubes, and that's kind of fixed. And you want to get a good bracket at a good price, and, you know, we have great companies on the list that have that, you know, available. But I tell them, don't really focus on that because... What, what actually is driving up your supply cost is the volume and all the staff and all the chairs. And if you're overpaying on something, I do, I still do some of the coaching calls. And I did one just recently where the doctor was paying about four and a half times more than they needed to for their gloves. <laughs> and I was like, Oh my God. And so I said, do you mind if I share this with the group? So we posted because, you know, we hit a all time high and they were like, just don't share my name. So I didn't, but told this doctor, I said, you're going to love this because you are going to save a lot. And, you know, the girl that was doing the ordering just didn't know, you know, what a good price was or where to find a good price. And so it's just guiding them into a place. And I honestly, I, I, I tell the doctors this, I mean, some will say, well, I really think I'm doing great. And I don't think you're going to be able to save me. And, you know, I never try to sell myself. If, if, if the doctor feels truly they're doing good, you know, then that's great. But I almost always see where we can help them. Okay, so gloves, uh, adhesives, burrs, disposables, uh, you know, those are the areas where docs should should be looking. Even if they don't hire you, those are areas where you see are common areas where people could be saving a lot of money. Right, and office supplies, if you go through a lot of office supplies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, is that paper or ink or all the above? It's everything. I mean, every office has to have janitorial. Yeah. Um, you have to have CFO towels. You know, you have to have cleaning supplies unless you have a cleaning crew. I mean, the, and that's all encompassed in the office supplies. You know, and promotional. I mean, doctors spend a lot of money on promotional. I, I recently added a promotional company where you have to pay a membership, uh, but it's wholesale. 
And I was just amazed, you know, when I was looking at what doctors were paying for pop sockets, I think is what they're called. And the difference, (laughs) the difference in the cost, you know, that you see out there. Uh, I think now the big thing is spinners. Um, So come on, Mary, you don't have a pop socket on your phone yet? (laughs) Well, I did for a little while. I I had some doctors send me some samples because I wanted to see what these things were. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Good, good. Well, let's switch gears here a little bit. I want you to put on your, uh, get out your crystal ball here and tell us a little bit what you think about the future of the orthodontic products landscape. But what are you hearing from companies? I mean, I hear there's some issues for traditional bracket companies. We've got changes in the aligner marketplace. What, what, what do you hear from uh, people in the industry? Well, um, I know, you know, Chris talks about the 80-20 reversing, you know, where it was 80% fixed appliances, 20% aligners, and that's going to be changing. Um, I do think that, I don't think it's going to happen overnight, but I do definitely think that it's going to change. Because of the technology, you know, the scanners and the software, you know, there's already one that you can get the software with one of the scanners now, and then 3D printers. Lots and lots of doctors are starting to buy the 3D printers. They're looking at, you know, some of the less expensive, and then they're moving into some of the ones that are faster. And I kind of use the analogy as, as one of them is more like a, a, a one-slice toaster, and the, the other one is more like a five-slice toaster. I think that the one-slice toaster one will probably be good as a backup eventually. You know, you're always going to want to have a backup if your big one goes down. But I think that a lot is going to move into that direction because of all the scanner technology and then the software that's coming. Um, there's a lot of software companies that are, you know, I've, I've been looking at that are uh, going to change aligners. And like I was saying, the thing that I think will actually still be done in-house is the phase one. And I think that it's going to open up a huge market for phase one uh, with aligners. What do you think about the aligner marketplace? Do you think we're moving to more consolidation of companies or are we going to have some fragmentation here with patents expiring? What's your prediction? I think it's going to be like the wild, wild west. (laughs) I think it's going to be hard to predict. Um, I I think there's going to be a lot of competition. And um, I think there's going to be a lot of technology. And when there's more technology and more to choose from and more competition, you know, the prices are going to become more affordable. Um, I think that, you know, everybody's talking about, you know, what will the fee look like? Um, I think that if there's a lot more patient pool that can afford it, even if the fee does come down some, but you're doing a lot more, um, I think orthodontists can do quite well. Um, I think they need to be ready for it. And I think it's really important to have a beautiful website because that's the first place people go. I think it's really important to know how to market your practice, you know, all the different social media that's out there. I think that doctors, they really, really need to be aware of all the different social media tools. I think that if you market well, and if, if your patients love you, they're going to be out there talking about you. Uh, you know, one thing I, I always talk about is when you walk into the office, that's the patient's first impression. And so it's important for the doctor to do that often. You know, if you've got cobwebs somewhere or dust on a plant or a dead plant, or if it doesn't appear clean and, and st- you know, almost sterile and, and state-of-the-art, you know, you need to look at that and, and you need to look at your whole practice 
from the outside as somebody coming in. I think doctors that do that, that stay on top of things and they have wonderful teams and they love their patients and they love the profession, you know, those doctors are just thriving and they're going to continue to. Yeah. I love that. And I'm glad you, uh, you mentioned that. I know you've seen, uh, you know, you've worked with now thousands of, of uh, orthodontic practices and you've talked with doctors in person and, and online. And I'm always interested to hear what people like you have to say about, you know, about the, what, what, what are the things that the doctors are doing that are successful? And I think you brought up some of them. Are there, are there other things or, or characteristics or personal attributes you see of, of those doctors that are really out there crushing it? Well, I think those, the doctors that are just crushing it, it's just something that's genuine. You know, there's a few that come to mind and their philosophy is paying it forward. And it's, it's just part of who they are. And if you, if your mindset is of giving, you know, you can't help but receive. I mean, it's, it's just so natural. And so, I mean, that's kind of my belief. And that's my belief with my company is, we give to a fault, I think, and, and I don't ever want to stop doing that. I mean, I, I just feel like charity is really important. And this past couple of years, I went to a lot of the companies on my list and we donated, we, we got them to donate, donate a lot to a cause. I just think that there's so much that you can do in your business and in your practice to help other people and to serve other people. And, you know, the doctors that really see that and get it, their practices are just thriving. And, they don't need to go, you know, and shop black market, you know, or even gray market for products. You know, they're able to afford the best for their patients. Yeah. I, I love what you said about this abundance mindset, generosity, giving back. You know, I have something I really believe in. And, and I've told my staff, too, as, as our practice continues to get more successful, I've, I have this feeling like we need to continue to find ways to give back. And this might not be true, but I always have this idea in my head that, if I stop increasing the amount of uh, charity or, or, or uh, we, we don't continue to give back in, in new and, and improved ways, that that's going to be a limit on our growth. In other words, I feel like that's where growth comes from is as you, as you kind of engage in your community, as you can kind of give back more. And that's definitely been a theme of this podcast. So I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up. Mary, thank you so much for um, coming on the podcast and, and sharing this information with our listeners. If people want to get a hold of you, what's the best way for them to do that? The best way to get a hold of me is email. Uh, my email address is mary with an i at maryslist.com or just go to my website. Um, if the doctor wants to, you know, get a hold of us and have us reach back out, we do have a contact uh, page on the website as well. Awesome. Awesome. And, and Mary's also in our Elevate Orthodontics Facebook group. So if you want to post any questions, she'll be there as well to answer them. So thanks again, Mary, so much. This has been a blast. Um, have a great day. Thanks, Lance. I appreciate it. Take I'll care. talk to you later. Thank you for listening to the Elevate Orthodontics podcast. For more episodes, subscribe on iTunes or visit our website at elevateorthopodcast.com. Tune in next week for another great episode. 